person. everyone. Good to see you all here this morning, this nice chilly morning. Welcome those of you that are online in your nice warm places. Wherever you are, we're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. You know, it was a little over a week ago that I planned this service and I was just feeling a little bit overwhelmed just by there's so many funerals, so much cancer, so much COVID, so many so much Parkinson's, so much, so many loved ones who are not in a good place. And so I was feeling in need of hope. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I pray that wherever you are, whatever is uh, overwhelming you, that you would uh, find some hope in our, in our God and in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's uh, begin by um, reading together some scripture and then we'll sing some songs. So if you would stand with us. And let's read responsively from Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph.
seated. Good morning. My name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are super excited for you to be with us. Um, If you have a bulletin, if you open it up to the inside page, you will see our mission statement. This is who we strive to be. We strive to be, uh, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, grow to be like Christ, and serve others. And there are some really good ways to do that in the bulletin. Um, But first, before we get into other announcements, we have a little bit of business to handle. First of all, thank you so much for everyone who has given over this last year. If you have given and you would like your giving statement, there's a box out in the foyer on the table out there, and you can just grab that. Um, If you do not take yours and it's out there, we will get it to you eventually. But um, you can take it right there. Now, enough with business. We have some exciting news Tim and Vanessa had their baby, so Elijah, John, Mark, there he is, cute little guy, so excited for them, congrats to them. Um, so he is, he is a week old today, so that is exciting. Men, if you are available on February 5th, I highly recommend going to the No Regrets Conference, all right, it is at, uh, in Minocqua at Woodruff, um, E-free, so faith E-free there. And I can say, unlike uh, Common Ground, I have been to this conference, and it's good. So um, check it out. If you are planning on going and would like to carpool, please contact the church office, and we will get a van together to go. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together, Lord. We praise you as the God who is the king of the universe, and um, we thank you for all the little details that you handle for us, Lord. And we also thank you for the awesome joys that you bring into our lives. We think of Tim and Vanessa and Elijah. We thank you so much for him. We praise um, praise you for him this morning. We ask your blessing on us as we worship you. Help us to worship well. Um, help us to not try and change who you are in who we worship. Help us to worship you um, truly as the God who is in the Bible, the God, as we sang, the God of Elijah and Ezekiel, the one who brings dry bones and makes armies out of them, that brings flesh and life. We praise you as the way maker, as we sang, the one who makes miracles, who doesn't allow any obstacles to stand in your way. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the promise that you are with us, Lord. Um, We thank you that we know that you are here today in this place, and we ask that you make your presence known here as we worship and look into your word. Let your spirit just come and touch us and show yourself to us this this day. We know it is cold outside and it is winter, and we thank you for the fact that the seasons change, and as they change, we know that you are a God of order. We ask that you would uh, bring some some actual warmth and sunshine to our to our corner of the North Woods, Lord, but we thank you for the beauty of your creation. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Video in a minute. Um, and Al, this is a heads up. I'm going to say a word about it before we get to it. But let's first read a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it for you. This is from the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You have heard that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight both to the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, 
How are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're going to watch a little clip from the Chosen series. And this uh, occurs um, right after this, the scene where the, Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria. So the context is they are still in Sychar, that town in Samaria. And in case you didn't know, the Jews and the Samaritans in those days hated each other, literally hated each other. So that's a little bit of revenge. So this is a, a little clip of what it might look like to love your enemies. Rabbi, ah, you couldn't wait, could you? We're sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God bring down fire to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. <laughs> you too. You're like a storm on the sea. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Today, it was not good. But strong passion can be a good thing when channeled for righteousness. I just may have to delay giving you that authority we discussed earlier or in smaller doses until you two calm down a bit. <laughs> so let's continue. If you are able to stand, let's stand and sing a great old hymn of the wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace of Jesus greater than all 
so much. Please be seated. So Pastor Tim is not back yet this week, so you get me this week. Um, one thing that I did want to point out, if you are new or you have a prayer request, there is new connect cards in the seat in front of you. You can just fill that out and put it in the offering boxes in the back. Uh, Pastor Tim did a great job on those Connect cards. So. so we just finished Christmas, right? Not that long ago. And throughout Christmas, there's this really strong theme of Jesus as King, the Messiah, the King is coming. And with that, I wanted to look at what the first century Jews we're expecting Jesus as king to look like by examining who the great kings of Israel were. So we're going we're gonna to cover like a large section of scripture, um, and we're going to dip into a couple of them. Um, but a lot of this is just going to be, I'm going to give you the references, and you guys can go take a look at it. So this is going to be like a 30,000-foot view of what is known as the United Kingdom in Israel's history. All right? So, Israel starts out, when they get to the promised land under Joshua, they really are more of a tribal people that is united under a single war chief, Joshua, right? So they get there, and Joshua rules for a time, but after that, we get the judges. And eventually, the the time of the judges is this time of great turmoil, lots of... um, Lots of fighting, people dying, other horrible things happening. Um, you can read the book of Judges. It's, it's quite the read. Um, but when you get to the end of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Except for there were two people that didn't. One was Ruth, and the other was a guy named Samuel. And Samuel is the final judge in Israel. We see that in 1 Samuel 8, um, if you want to turn there, Israel demands a king. And the reason they ask for a king is because Samuel, he was a good judge, okay? He led the people of Israel in, uh, in some battles, and he judged over the people. But they asked for a king because of his two sons. So this is uh, 1 Samuel 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The names of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So Israel sees these two sons, and they're like, you know what? We want to follow the Lord. 
if we're going to follow the Lord, we can't have these guys as our leaders. So they ask for a king. Or I shouldn't say ask. They pretty much demand. They pretty much say, give us a king. We need this. However, when they ask for a king, um, which is in verse 6, the Lord tells, um, tells Samuel this. This is verse 7. And the Lord tell, told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they are rejecting, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So the rest of this chapter is um, Samuel telling him what the king will claim, which is pretty much he will enslave your people, he will tax you, he will take your livestock, and he will rule over you. Um, and the people still say, we want a king. So God talks to Samuel and says, I will bring you a king. And so this is where we get King Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul is physically everything you would want in a king. He's at a, um, they're at a gathering, and they're trying to find Saul. Saul is a head taller than everyone there. Okay, this guy is, I don't know how tall exactly that is, but, you know, he's, I would assume he's taller than me. And Yeah, he looks like, he looks like the perfect king. So Saul reigns in Israel for 40 years, and we know Saul's reign was pretty much covered in blood. He went to war the entire time he was there. He was fighting the Philistines. He was fighting the Amalekites. He was fighting some other people. But he loses the kingdom quite quickly. Even though that he reigns for 40 years, God, who gives him the kingdom, takes it away from him for two reasons. Number one, he takes it away because people's opinion were more important than God's. At one point, he is called to destroy a um, nation called the Amalekites. And instead of destroying the nation fully, he takes plunder and their king. Um, and he says, because he was afraid of the people. That's in 1 Samuel 15, um, if you want to turn there quickly. Um, this is Samuel's uh, response to Saul. Um, this is 15.1. Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message uh, from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did. Um, so he, he tells him what to do. He's supposed to kill the Amalekites. Um, they go and attack. And then you get down to verse... Um, 14 or 13, Samuel goes to Carmel, and when he gets to him, he says this. Um, I'm going to start in 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Verse 16, enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And it goes on to say that uh, the Lord had rejected Samuel, or Saul, as king. So that's the first reason. Number two, Saul was ruled by fear. We see this in a couple different places. Um, once Samuel rejects Saul, or the Lord rejects Saul as king, Samuel goes immediately, and he, um, in, verse, in chapter 16, he goes and he anoints David. And when he does that, this is the beginning of Saul becoming paranoid, and becomes more and more paranoid as his life goes on. He's always looking for rivals. Who's going to take my kingdom? Who's going to take this from me? The interesting thing is, Saul didn't work for this kingdom. God gave it to him, right? He was not... The, he didn't have any right to be king any more than anyone else except for that God gave it to him. Um, and finally, we see really this the ultimate sign of his fear. Um, when you get to towards the end of his life, he knows he's going to 
um, going into battle. So this is in 1 Samuel uh, 28. He goes, and we're, we're not going to look at the passage specifically, but he goes and he's, he's got a battle in the morning, okay? And he's scared. So he ends up going to this woman who is, she's a medium. She's known as the Witch of Endor, which I know Endor, all I can think of is Star Wars personally, but um, she's known as the Witch of Endor, and he goes to... He goes to this witch, and he asks her to raise the spirit of Samuel, who had passed away. And when Samuel's spirit is raised, he pretty much tells him, why did you disturb me? And Saul says, well, because I'm worried about tomorrow, what's going to happen? And Samuel says, well, yeah, you're going to die. That's what's going to happen. And that's what happens. uh, Saul and all of his, almost all of his sons, dies in this battle. Uh, so that's really Samuel, or Saul's reign is defined by constant warfare and I mean he holds his kingdom but he fights all the time um, but he really followed people's opinion and was afraid pretty much his entire reign after this we get David, David is first seen in, oh, and Saul reigns for 40 years, okay it is nice because each of these three kings reigns for 40 years, so it's 120 years, 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. Really simple for all you. Like, I don't like math, so it's easy. <laughs> all right, David is first seen in 1 Samuel 16, and he is everything that Saul is not. He doesn't look like a king. When Samuel first goes to anoint him, he goes through brother after brother because the first couple, he's like, this guy, he looks like he should be king. And God says, uh, no. You're completely wrong. This guy should not be king. And so you get down all the way to the final brother. David wasn't even there. He gets anointed. Um, and First Samuel 17 is one of the best known stories in the Bible. David fighting Goliath. He kills Goliath um, and earns his place as, in Israel as a war hero and enemy of the Philistines. After this, he spends lots of his time on the run. Um, he, this, this uh, victory against Goliath gets him into the royal court in Israel as a, um, well, a comforter and kind of an advisor to the king. But it ends up that Saul finds out um, on one level that David is going to replace him. Um, and so he tries to kill him. So he ends up on the run. He, um, his exploits are pretty cool if you enjoy a good story. He goes and ends up uh, in the Philistine camp and pretends he's mad for a while, which is pretty interesting. Um, he's, he like lets himself drool and knocks on wood and I don't, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. But um, he eventually becomes king in Hebron after Saul dies. Um, and then after a, a period of time, he becomes king over all of Israel. But the interesting thing with David is, um, throughout the Bible, he is referred to as a man who was after God's own heart. I think that's um, most clear in the times when he had his interactions with Saul. He has at least three instances where he can kill Saul, even as Saul is trying to hunt him down. And each time he doesn't, because he says he will not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. And the final time that really is is very, very interesting is if you, um, in 2 Samuel 1, you see that Saul dies. Um, And this is is when David finds out about Saul's death. So this is 2 Samuel 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and staying in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happen to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul, leaning on a spear, with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. 
When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he would not survive. I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him their port, Where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go strike him down, for he struck him, uh, so he struck him down and died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. I mean, how many rulers, when their adversary is killed, the guy who's hunting them down, would, when that news came, would literally kill the messenger of who did it. Um, David saw that God's plans were bigger than earthly ones, and that he was... Uh, and that he was willing to respect God's anointed even when they were trying to kill him. Uh, David's reign is 40 years. He ends up being at war most of the time. Uh, in First Chronicles, it says that he attempts to build the temple, and we're going to sit here in First Chronicles for a little bit. This is First Chronicles 17. Um, so David gets ready to build the temple in Jerusalem, and he brings in tons of uh, musicians, and he brings in the Ark of the Covenant finally to Jerusalem. And this is the, the time where like everyone likes to like point out where like David danced so much that like part of his robe fell off, so we should like dance and praise the Lord in a undignified way, right? Everyone, anyway. But in seventeen. Um, God is, he's getting ready to build the temple. And God tells him, no, you're not. You're not going to build the temple because of all the blood is on, that is on your hands. Um, so this is verse 4. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. Um, so we see David's not the one who's going to do it because of all the blood on his hands. Um, when it talks about the fact that he has not dwelled in a, in a um, house of cedar, what it's saying is it's just been in the tabernacle, which is just a glorified tent, um, up until Solomon, David's son, ends up building it. Um, and we're going to come back to this passage, so if you want to leave your uh, hand in it or mark it or something, we'll go back here. So David lives to be 40. He has one huge blunder that he makes. Um, he ends up, well, just after this, actually, he ends up uh, at war with, um, he's at war again, and as he's at war, he comes back from campaign and is sitting in his temple <clears throat> and is looking down, and he sees a woman bathing, bathing on a roof. He finds her exceedingly beautiful, has her brought to the temple, uh, sleeps with her, and it ends up that 
Um, she is the wife of one of his commanders, Uriah the Hittite. David finds out. He tries to get uh, Uriah to come back uh, because he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, which isn't great for him. So Uriah won't come back, or he does come back, but he says, if my men are sleeping in the field, then why would I sleep in my own bed? So he ends up sleeping on the palace steps instead, which I, I've never tried, but it seems like it'd be really uncomfortable. So um, David sends to his commander, he says, uh, put Uriah's unit at the most heavy, like the heaviest fighting, have everyone step back, and Uriah to charge the enemy positions by himself. And Uriah ends up dying. Um, David, at first, is not really too sad. Um, but then Nathan comes to him, tells him a story about a man and a couple of sheep. There's even a VeggieTales movie about this called uh, King George and the Ducky. I always forget that one. It's actually pretty good, so you guys should watch it if you haven't, because it's, it's pretty fun. But um, it's a great way of telling that story. Eventually, um, David does uh, repent, um, but there are still consequences. Uh, eventually, from he marries Bathsheba from that union, there is a son named Solomon. Solomon is uh, the king after David dies. Um, when he is born, so he has the name Solomon, but he is also called, this is in 2 Samuel 12, 24 and 25, he is called Jedidiah, which means beloved by God, another sign that even though David sinned and repented, um, God had wiped his sins away. He had forgiven his sins. Um, he was blessed by God with wisdom. He was a just king. He ended up building the temple. But mainly what defines Solomon's reign from a secular perspective is that the borders of Israel expand to the furthest that they go, and they have the most money. It's a powerful empire. And one of the reasons why it's powerful is because Solomon secures many uh, alliances through marriage. So he marries um, a daughter of the pharaoh in Egypt, um, other wives. In grand total, he had a thousand wives and concubines, which is insane. But that's what he did. Um, it's, it, he builds the temple, and uh, he dedicates it in Second Chronicles 6, um, his dedication of the temple is very interesting. Um, we're not going to look there because we don't have time. Um, but Solomon ends up having only half a heart for God. Half of it is focused on Jesus, but the other half is completely focused on his wives, their gods, and their worship. Um, this is kind of ironic because Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. That's what the Bible says. And he says, if you read Proverbs, to follow the Lord and his statutes. If you turn to Deuteronomy 17, verse 4, we find that God had a provision for when... Um, I'm sorry, 14, not 4. Um... God had a provision for when Israel has a, had a king. And this is what he says. This is verse uh, 14 through the end of the chapter. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make, make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. So Solomon makes an alliance with, with uh, the Pharaoh, right, from Egypt and literally takes money and possessions from Egypt through that. Okay, so there's strike one. Uh, 17, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So Solomon, he gets a ton of wives, right? He gets a ton of gold and silver, totally largest tray. 
verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Solomon literally took all of these and said, hmm, can I break all of them? And he did. All right? He literally broke every single one of these things that God said to the king not to do. Um, And he loses the kingdom. Not during his reign, but during his son's reign, the kingdom splinters, and Israel is no longer the, the superpower that it is during his reign. So when we look at these... Uh, when we look at these three kings, why does it matter? Why should we care about this? Number one, I think we can look and see that God's statutes and rules are for our benefit. Um, Solomon, super wise. Do you think he would have had a great kingdom without making alliances with foreign powers? I think he would have, because God would have blessed him. Um, and honestly, the man is the wisest man on earth. I'm, I'm sure he could figure it out some way besides this. Number two, God's plans are better than ours. When we look at Saul, his life, he was afraid the entire time. And it ended up that he did things because he thought he knew better. And that wasn't the case. And finally, God can use the worst sinners if we respond to him correctly. We look at David. I mean, he literally coveted a woman, killed her husband so he could marry her. Literally. I'm pretty sure none of us have done that. Pretty sure. Um, But God was still able to use him. And if you turn back to the 1 Corinthians 17... This is the end of what God tells to David. This is verse. Um, this is the end of verse ten. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. It's not talking about Solomon. It's talking about Jesus. David's kingdom will live on forever because Jesus is sitting on that throne. I think that's a great reminder for us that no matter how big of mistakes we make in our life, if we return to God, He can do amazing things. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for our time together, Lord, and thank you for Jesus. Thank you that He came, died on a cross, and rose again victoriously on the third day, and now sits on a throne in heaven, Lord. We thank you that we have the examples of men in the Bible who made terrible mistakes, so hopefully we don't make them. We ask that you would help us to follow you well, just as David did, with his eyes fixed on you and seeking you always. We ask your blessing on this day and the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. We have Sunday school and cross training today. So cross training up here at 1045, Sunday school downstairs at 1030. May you go in peace. You're dismissed.